Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello. Okay, it's working. Um, I just like to make it clear to our listeners that uh, I am fully responsible for this edit and the production values are going to be lower to what you've become recently accustomed to. Anyway, um, Ned and I still had a good chat, so there's no music. Bye. Uh, Hello, David. Hi, Ned. How's it going? Yeah, good, good. Uh, I just in this, we're just trying to get our head around what happened the last uh, few days. Well, it's been, what is it now, Wednesday? It's been 10 days since I said goodbye to you in Maidstone in Kent, I think. Um, yeah. And uh, quite a lot's happened since. Yeah, probably more for you than me. But a lot, a lot's happened in the cycling world. We could start with, I don't know, it's yeah. up to you. you could start, we could start with cycling or we could uh, no, move I straight think we, to- I think we start with bike racing. Let's okay. go, let's 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 properly not stray far immediately. All right. In the spirit of that, I have the revelation that I have kind of made over the last ten days. Actually, no, probably the last ten days um, plus a week. What's that? Oh, seven, seventeen days. Let's call it that. Um, uh, the, the, <laughs> so desperate we've got yeah. filling space in trying to add a week to ten days. <laughs> in the last roughly seventeen days, David, the. Um, I, I, I wonder whether you've kind of been on this similar journey, but I have to confess, I didn't know 17 days ago that Richard Carapaz, before the Pyrenees, that Richard Carapaz was the bike racer that he is. I didn't know that. And mm. I, and Rendalero, uh, yeah. to his great credit, kind of did. And, mm. um, and I stand corrected. If I ever, I don't think I ever said he wasn't the bike racer, but I just internally had my doubts. Well, but we there's, we, there's we no caught glimpses there. of the Tour de France when he did his um, proper bike racer move, where he turned a mount, mountain stage into a classic and was bluffing and doing his different games, which I've never seen before. Yeah, and he got a little bit, and even I was like, "You don't do that! You don't do that!" Or people, but actually, he's a bike racer. Yeah, that he's, was the Col du Porte stage, wasn't he, it? That exactly. Was the, yeah. And then when I turned on, because I was running out and got to pr- different places and saw that he'd won, you were like, wow, you're yeah. a bike racer. Because afterwards, even in the post-race interviews, I saw Pogac was saying he didn't know why he attacked where he did. Yeah. Because he's still a kid. He's emotional. He's excited. He's in the place. And, and he looks really happy with his bronze medal. But Carapaz doesn't race like that. He races to win. And yeah, I think it's, it's a really good indication for where Ineos Grenadiers can go because they've got a proper one day star racer who can do Grand Tour races. And, uh, I think what he did at the Olympics was very redemptive for their whole team. Because he was away, wasn't he, with Brandon McNulty? That was the move, mm. wasn't it, in the Olympic road race? Yeah, Pogacar's um, teammate is UAE teammate. His teammate, but, which is yeah. one of the weirdnesses of the, the Olympics. The dude who crashed it? off the hillside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's um, so um, it, yeah, and he just yeah. rode. He just rode McNulty into a standstill, didn't he? He just rode him into yeah, a, he oblivion. did. And you and you had it, and and Wout van Aert was there, and he had his whole team doing everything, and. Remco Evanapol, oh, my, yeah. my darling yeah, boy, yeah. was there, but he was on sacrificial lamb duty early on. Yeah, and then, but Wout van Aert kept bringing back on, and Pogacar lit things up on the penultimate climb. There were super big climbs, oh, and yes. it was, it was like the kind of Tour de France meters or something. Yeah, it? it was it was nuts. The fact yeah. Wout van Aert was even there was yeah. is, is insane. Yeah, and then. But it was, and what I, I kind of loved about it was all these riders that pull out the Tour de France to not, uh, to, to save themselves the Olympics. Craziness. Yeah. No, they don't. It's like, I think eight of the riders in the top 10 finished the Tour de France. Yeah. 
because yeah. it's this weird thing. You finish it and the you feel exhausted, you feel terrible, but you're stronger than you've ever been. Yeah. And the sensible and all the physiology and all the data will tell you to stop doing the Tour de France if yeah. you want to get the best out of yourself at the one day race a week later. And the the black science, the black art says, finish the Tour de France, you'll feel like you'll feel terrible but you'll be stronger than you've ever been in your life. You've just got to overcome four and a half hours of wanting to stop the race. And that that's what was amazing about watching the Tour de France, even with all the data and science they have now, they they still can't uh, quantify or qualify why a three-week Grand Tour turns you into this absolute weapon of a human being. Mm. And mm. And so that was what I found interesting with the road race. Uh, yeah yeah because all those riders like who was it at the Tour de France it was again it was the changing of the script wasn't it and the and the, mm. the kind of destruction of the old wisdom because you're mm. absolutely right I think it was Jakob Fulsang did he go he mm. went early from the Tour yeah. de France didn't he having made no impact on the race and, and likewise Vincenzo Nibali last yeah. last chance saloon for him and he went early but they were kind of going through you got the sense with well maybe with the benefit of hindsight that that decision making process is going through the kind of um, vapors left in the tank of kind of old mm. thinking, um, yeah. and uh, yeah, go back to the drawing board because it turns out the more you race, the better you are. Um, I, I think, and and then off that, I think we should go to talk about the Women's Road Race because that's going on that same narrative, kind of rips the rule book up, and then after that, and I dare say it, we should talk about mountain biking after that. But oh we should, yeah, well, but, well, the first ever mountain bike race I've ever yeah. watched. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, the, wounds, the Wounds Road Race did exactly what we, we've just been talking about in the opposite way. Yeah, yeah. In so the, the, the Women's Road that... Race. So Car- Carapaz won the Men's Road Race. The next day, the Women's Road Race was equally fascinating in a completely different and bonkers way. Um, uh, th- this this five-rider breakaway got away, I think I'm right in saying. And um, one by one, they were kind of caught eventually. Two riders were caught. And then when I started watching the race... Three riders, I think I'm right in saying, had had still had something like a nine minute lead mm. with, I want to say, 45k to go or something, including yeah. some big climbs. And I think they and maxed out 11 minutes, didn't they? I, I think they had. No, I got a feeling they had 19 minutes or something uh, like that. Yeah, it was. So, I think it, it was, I think it maxed out 11 minutes. Uh, I think that was. But none of the teams behind chased okay, maybe, because they maybe were you're right. Yeah, but, because they uh, didn't consider them threats. Well, so. Here's the thing with the women's peloton, at the, which is tiny at the, at the Olympics, isn't it? What was it, 70 riders strong mm. or something? So really kind of like in, a, in quite an uneven peloton anyway, which is, you know, I don't think I'm kind of saying anything controversial there. The, the difference between those who are at the no, top of their game and world-class and those who yeah. perhaps aren't is, is greater than in the men's peloton. Mm. So it you know, shelves off quite quickly and it's even more exaggerated in the Olympic road race, I suspect. But even within those teams who were strong, um, you know, there was a world of difference between the Netherlands and everybody else. <laughs> yeah. Well, for uh, because- starters, even, even we, we're British. We had two riders. We had two riders. We had two riders. Yeah. Um, you know, um, and, 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 and the Italians, I think, uh, they had, well, they had Elisa Longo-Borghini and one or two others, maybe yeah. three. The Dutch had, in that final peloton, they had four absolute hitters they had Anna van der Bregen yeah. they had Marianne Vos Demi mm. following and of course Annemiek van Vluten and yeah. um, between them all you're thinking well it's almost a national disgrace if they can't engineer a victory here mm. somehow yeah. I mean they were that you know they were in that much of the box siege mm. by the time the peloton was whittled down to a fairly select group almost every other one of the favourites like Longo Borghini mm. like Cecilia Utrup Ludwig like Cassia Nevia like Lizzie Dignan were unsupported and they still had four mm. there they had the four that I've just yeah. mentioned you know so they it, it, but it they was and not, I'll just jump in because yeah, although the, the win was amazing it it from all the women's bike racing we've seen, it was not a good advert for women's bike racing. I, in what terms, David? Because I, I mean, I kind of know what you're getting just at. But a, I just the want neutrality, to, they're just, just the passiveness. Stand that up a bit. The passiveness, the fact that everyone called each other out and it wasn't. It's just not. There was no. No aggression. There wasn't any. There was too much wanting to beat each other, even within your own team. It was. What's the common goal, the common cause, the goal? What's the, why are we doing this? And it just, everyone just tripped each other up. 
Yeah. And it was like, God, come on, you've got it. You can uh, yeah. do this. <laughs> however, 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 so the, the added complication yeah. was um, eventually that three rider group fell apart that I was talking mm. about. The one with nine minutes still, still, mm. you know, of, of, a, of a lead. Maybe they still had five minutes or something like that. I'm, this yeah. is slightly floating here because I've kind of forgotten um, mm. exactly what, <laughs> what the numbers were at this point. Yeah. But Anna Kiesenhofer decided from a long way out, this Austrian rider, unheralded rider, really, um, mm. to go to go it alone. And off she went a long, a long, long way out. And um, then... Uh, you know, really late on, and this kind of you, 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 and Peter were very funny on our WhatsApp group, sort of like complaining about the the fact that the race finished on a motor circuit being really mm. lame. And I completely mm. agree with you. Mm. You know, both in the men's and the women's road race, it looked dreadful. But then, you know, to, when they got onto the motor racing circuit, then the Dutch started eventually to work as a kind of homogenous unit and actually to do what you see in the men's road race in men's road racing, put the team on the front because they did have the team and work for one one end. Um, but it was only when uh, you realised that Anna Kiesenhofer was going to win and still they were riding hard and they swept up with um, a couple of kilometres to go. They swept up the other two riders uh, and, and still left Kiesenhofer with a couple of minutes advantage to take the win solo. Then you realise that, OK, so this is Annemiek van Vluten who'd attacked off the, the group, caught the others, passed them and was now second on the road. She crosses the line, what, a minute and a half after the winner yeah. and celebrates... Yeah, and I and I I remember watching that live, thinking that's odd because mm. that's Annemiek van Vluten. Yeah, why is she? Why is she celebrating a, a the, silver medal to Anna who she probably hasn't even heard of? And but they were they and I saw the polemics that they haven't seen the boards. There were no time gaps. They were getting the time checks. It's you see it, and it's the race does that because it would have been a much bigger controversy if the race hadn't been supporting with regular time checks on boards from motorbikes. So that's up to you to see if you, if you notice them or not. They didn't have the radios though, did they? No, right? no radios. And, and so most of these riders are only used to riding with radios. But that, that's, that's my point is, kind of it's, it's the Olympics is the biggest bike race in the world. You know, there's no radios. So you have to understand there's going to be motorbikes that come by with boards that show you the time. That's but, your only data check. Okay, but I don't understand. I don't understand quite what you, the point is you're making. Are you saying you, can either be one or two things? One is they knew that they were riding for second place because they had all this information, mm. or they had all this information but misread it and they didn't know they were riding for second place. Wh which of those two? Which of those think, two do you think? It I is? think the second one, and I think right. because they haven't had enough experience of racing with relying solely on blackboards. Yep, and. The, the briefing wasn't sufficient to tell them this is what you're going to rely, rely upon. That's it. Once you yeah. start that, once you cross that start line and to the finish line, we have no information for you. Amazing. You have to adhere to those motorbikes, and those blackboards. Yeah. That's all you've got. And you relay, relay that to each other. Yeah. And that's what this bike race is going to be. Yeah. And you, you prepare for that and that's what you do. And yeah. there's, there's simply no excuses in my opinion. Yeah. And that's just bad preparation. And, but what I love about it and what I love about the race is the fact, and this is what I love about women's racing is an amateur can win. And she is, a, she is an, an amateur in the, in the greatest yeah. sense of the word, but she was, I mean, she was phenomenally strong on the day. Yeah. You know, she'd been off the yeah. front from, yeah. from, from the beginning of the race. Yeah. Um, and as you say, it wasn't as long as the men's race, but it was an mm. extremely hard oh, course. It's, uh, what she's done and, and what, what she's done and who she is, is just insanely magical. Yeah. It's, I mean, we could do a three, we could do 10 podcasts with her and not even tap yeah. into, to what even who she, she does, who she is, what she <laughs> well, does. She, and, and Anna, she's Anna magical. Is a, is a mathematician par excellence, isn't she? She is, yeah. uh, she's a, she's, she did a, a, a degree in Vienna, the university of Vienna went on to do postgraduate studies at the university yeah. of Cambridge. And then David, just up the road from you completed okay, a PhD yeah. as yeah. I understand it at the university of Catalonia. Yeah. Whatever that is. Is yeah, that in Barcelona? That. I don't know. I imagine but it's her, in Barcelona. Yeah. One of her most recently published works is entitled non-communicative integrable systems on B symplectic manifolds. Yeah. <laughs> But why? And you know what? And this is, you know, in, in our commentary, occasionally I say game theory. Yeah. She literally went into that race because she didn't have a teammate. And she knew her only chance, mathematically calculated, was to hit out long. Yeah. And did all these variables and played her only card. Yeah. 
She had one card and she yeah. played it. And it was brilliant. And, and, and it's you're right. brilliant. How, and, and she won that race with total legitimacy and is the worthiest Olympic champion. Yeah. Because how she won it, she literally raced it. Yeah. And decided the only way I can win this race is hitting out early and taking it to the line. And also and, and, having the balls to leave the other two as early yeah. as she did. You yeah. know, go solo. Yeah. Because that's what created so, the confusion, wasn't it? Yeah. So, and, and I think just to conclude that, she is a completely worthy Olympic champion. Yeah. She beat Lizzie Dignan. She beat the Dutch team. Yeah. And she did it because she planned it. Yeah. And she trained for it and she did it. Yeah. Textbook and the stars aligned. But yeah. she, and I, I think every single woman in that race that race against her will say, yep. She beat us. Yeah. And that, that's racing. And uh, as far as I understand it, one of the first yeah. riders to congratulate her, because I think some of the riders were a little bit reluctant to congratulate her, from what I understand, yeah. early on. Oh, having really? kind of absorbed the shock that they hadn't yeah. picked up the gold one. medal, they picked up the <laughs> silver medal, you know, etc. Was Cecilia Utrup Ludwig, which says a lot yeah, for yeah. Cecilia's uh, nature, I think, that she, she recognised the achievement. She also critiqued the, the racing style of the peloton. Well, she's got, this is a big, big bugbear of hers. Yeah. And yeah. she's deeply frustrated by, by the way that the, that, that, the, the negative the racing style, the, the negative, uh, the lack of organization yeah. and the lack yeah. of your communication actually on yeah. the road and kind of common yeah. understanding of what the, what needs to be done in a certain yeah. situation. Hey, listen, so Anna Kiesenhofer's, um, non-communicative integrable systems and B-symplectic manifolds, if you want to read it, is is um, available online for a small fee in the International Scientific Journal named Regular and Chaotic Dynamics, David. Isn't that brilliant? <laughs> because that's, that's bike pretty racing. much... That's bike racing! Regular it? and Chaotic Dynamics. Perfect. We'll, we'll, we'll put it in the show notes. Perfect, perfect. Yeah. And the other thing, um, just, to, just to sort of wrap up what was, I think, clearly, because I, I enjoyed the men's road race. I enjoyed the women's one more because it was so mad. Um, but the shot of the day was after she'd crossed the line, she collapsed on the ground. I don't know if you saw that, David. And she was expiring. I mean, mm. I kind of stopped in my tracks and went, is she okay? I mean, like, yeah. actually, is she okay? Mm. Because... She'd gone so deep. She was, you know, the literally the kind of deep death rattle breaths and all this sort of thing. But, you know, after a split second of looking at her, you realise, yeah, she's okay. Because there was this light in her eyes, mm. you know, um, because she had just done something off the scale, you know. Yeah. Um, and much as you celebrate Richard Carabaz's confirmation of his massive ability and mm. talent, um, this was just one of those special mm. Olympic moments, wasn't it? It was. It was really yeah, it was. And I think tremendous. it just... It, the Olympics, I have a, a complex relationship with, but when yeah, you go see, on then. go on, tell us about uh, that. Uh, uh, probably later on because it gets a bit darker. Okay, <laughs> but um, but uh, but it's um at the moment just to segue across to mountain biking and watching Pidcock. It was because uh, I was gutted because I was in England and I was. Because because of my little Olympic resentments, I don't buy into it. My wife does, my family do, and but then I came down and I'd been out doing something, and I learned Pidcock had won, and I was like, "How did he? What Pidcock won? Uh, did you and not watch him I, win? No, I didn't. And I it's it's I don't regret much of my life. I wish wish I'd watched it live. I then watched it that evening." on hit the red button, went back and rewinded yep. it with, yep. with Archibald, with my Archie, only Archie, my oldest boy sat and watched it. Well, he's the mountain and biker, right? Archie? He's the mountain biker. Yeah, yeah. And watching Tom Pickcock do it, it was sublime. Yeah. Yeah. Just, what? That's the right word. And it was sublime. And I saw, and the course was beautiful. Wasn't it? The, the Japanese organization, everything. It was the, the, the most perfect mountain bike cross country, country course I've ever seen. Yeah. And everything was just right. And he did it. And what was nuts was just like the, the Dutch woman team had made mistakes in the road race. How did Matthew van der Poel not know or forget? And so I've thought about this since. What well, the, 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 the ramp had the, been the taken ramp, away. The way yeah. he crashed out and where he crashed. Because, and he even said afterwards, and then you see all the confusing interviews afterwards and they're, his coach is saying, and I spoke to him about it in the morning. Let's not forget that Matthew Vanderpool 
has just gone through one of the most emotional racing experiences of her life three weeks before, a month before. And even the greatest athlete in the world makes a mistake. And I genuinely think he'd forgotten and he'd been told over and over again that the ramp was ramp taken away, That's quite a big deal because yeah. without that ramp, that's a, that's a five-foot drop, isn't yeah, it? And, and he literally, and this was so humanizing, and it was, you just thought, oh, Mathieu, you made a terrible mistake. Mm. And mm. that's the Olympics. Mm. It's he, everyone else knew, and you know, and you've mm. prepped and you do this. This is why you are who you are. And he spent, he, he even left the Tour de France. He said, I spent four years working towards this Gold and he forgot the ramp. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. because then, and we can come on to that afterwards regards Simone, uh, Bills, Biles, the gymnast, is sometimes you just, it becomes, you're overwhelmed. Mm. And I think Matthew van der Poel just became overwhelmed and still, well, to this day, we'll say no one told him yeah, because he was just had so much pressure on his shoulders mm. that he put upon himself. But then contrary to that, Pidcock, 21 years old and just a weapon. And I was like, whoa. He I mean, was gracious. He was wonderful and beautiful. I think it's the. I think no. I'm slight. It's a slight bit of her hyperbole, but I think it's the second mountain bike race I've ever yeah. watched. I remember vaguely tuning in in London to the coverage of the London, mm. and I can't remember where the London course was, but it didn't strike me as half the spectacle of this but Japanese no, course, which, no, which you, as you say, was absolutely beautiful. Oh, and, beautiful. And, and, and it was like a film set actually it was incredible it was like yeah. um um it just looked great and it, and and also you know it kind of married self-evidently it married the sporting challenge with the aesthetics kind of perfectly didn't it but the difference between pidcock and the way he seemed to race and everybody else in the race was like they were in two different disciplines wasn't it yeah. i mean he was just he was running on rails as calm as you like, yeah. faultless. And everyone else was on the limit, mm. ragged, and occasionally, you know, yeah. things were happening to them. They were puncturing or they were slipping up. Or at one point, the Swiss mm. chap who was chasing him had to get off, dismount, and go cycle across yeah. and run. And Pidcock was just, just drifting along, wasn't he? Yeah. It was absolute. I mean, it was, there is a... He'll, I, it, I, regardless of what Pidcock goes on to do for that, he's only 21, it's ridiculous. But, you know, whatever he go on to achieve, David, it's... I think he'll always look back at that race and go, might have peaked there, you know. Yeah, it's interesting. It's really interesting you say that, Ned, because as a racer who's done those things, I, I've we've spoken about these magic days, and you don't know when they're going to happen. You can be 15, you can be 18, you can be 21, you can be 28, you can be 34. Yeah. They happen very rarely. Yeah. And watching Pidcock, you're like, whoa mm. you're in full flow this mm. is all the science everything they're doing about neuroscience and plasticity and the 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 abilities that humans have to do things he was in full flow yeah and even he'll finish that race at 21 and go whoa i don't know if i'll ever touch that again mm. because it's out of your hands mm. and it's but he's worked for it over many years and he's got mm. this particular ge genetic makeup and he's, mm. and he's worked so hard and gone through these different avenues and he almost won Amstel gold race this year, for God's sake, mm. which is 260 kilometers and a road race and a very complicated road race. He's, he's about to go and race the Vuelta for God's sake. Is he? Yes. Oh, brilliant. With, you know, and with all the hitters there, the yeah, Vuelta's going to be amazing. He's our very yeah. own Evanapol, but Evanapol because Evanapol doesn't know how to mountain bike or cyclocross. We know that now, don't we? After the gravel yeah. sector in, in, in the Giro. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we, so, and, and with Pidcock, and I've, I've kind of always been, and I'm just like, oh, and I kind of, I'm so hesitant because I don't want to put that burden yeah. in, in my thinking. But I think we've got our, I think we've got the greatest ever in the Oof. cup of our hand. Yeah. And yeah. And you just like super exciting, isn't it? Let's not You know when it, I was actually Girona commentating, you know, we did Never Stray's Girona or whatever the hell it was called yeah. back then. Um and I was going off you remember every day I'd go off on my, mm. my runs behind the cathedral and out. Yeah. I think it was around about then, early on in that week, that he crashed. Or he had that accident, that uh, training yeah, accident. Yeah, where he his shattered his pocket in five, five um, places he broke it. Yeah. And I know he lives in Andorra, but for whatever reason, he mm. was actually recuperating. He'd had his operation in Girona and was in Girona then, um, uh -huh. which I hadn't realised. And I hadn't even realised he'd done it. But I was just, 
hobbling back from one of my runs uh, when I was kind of looking at my phone and I saw the news. So I sent him a message, um, just a little picture message of me with mm. the very identifiable Cathedral of Girona in the background saying, I'm, I'm, mm. I'm really close by, Tom, wish, wish you all the best wherever you, you know, yeah. all that sort of thing. He got straight back to me saying, bored. <laughs> you know, this is like 24 hours after his uh, um, yeah. break. He was just, and what was it, days later, six days, days later, later, he was back you on know, the it's, it's, I think it's my friend, Marty Costello, uh, who's the, who looks after all of us. Who's an amazing? He's my age. He's forty-four. Okay, and he was a brain surgeon. So he's the surgeon his, who does your. Well, he's a he was a brain surgeon. Now he owns two sports centres and does different things. And he's the most ethical human being in the world. He doesn't believe in. Uh, he wants homeopathic stuff, but he's a, a brain surgeon. Oh. And he's mad as a box of frogs. I love him to death. Yeah, but uh, I think he's the person that supported Tom, Tom. through that. Tom, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. So anyway, so well, so Tom was David, a really nice. What, what do you think? What do you want? What I suppose there are two different questions. What do you think Pidcock's greatest achievement could be, and what do you want it to be? Because they're two different things. I mean, would, would mm. it be the Tour of Flanders, or would it be the Tour de France, or or, or could it be both? Uh, I mean, or, or where where does uh, it lie on the road? Really good, that's a really good question, actually. Um, I kind of I don't. I don't know if it's so binary for this new generation. Yeah. In the sense, I don't think they, I have to win the Tour de France, I have to get an Olympic gold medal. And which I think is great. Uh, for Tom Pickock, I would love to watch him spend a decade winning whatever he enjoys mm. and, and racing all the time. Because I think that's something we've lost. We've become quite binary. So if we could go, uh, you know what you got, you know, what, the next Olympics, you want to do the mountain bike, go and do it. If yeah. you want to go and try and win the Tour de France, go and do that. And just have him, it's like watching a movie, watching it unfold and, and watching him just enjoy it and love it. And But he's, he's so, I mean, okay. So we've had these great British riders come through yeah. in recent years who have been outside the system. And one thinks mm. of Adam Yates. In particular, but Adam Yates is an incredibly specialised rider. You yeah, know, he's always known what he's about. Yeah. nonetheless, um, Pidcock is again. He's he's a he's a he's a slight outsider in the sense that mm. he's not gone near as far as you know. He's not really been part of the track program, has he ever? Yeah. Has he I'll, ever? I'll get, I, I, I don't. I don't know. I'll give I you. So. This is a, a really kind of easy one because I got t- three children: nine-year-old boy, eight-year-old yeah. boy, and a five-year-old girl. They're not going to get inspired by the Yates brothers. They're not going to get inspired by Garrett Thomas or Bradley Wiggins. They're not going to get inspired by Chris Froome. They love Mathieu van der Poel. They love Wout van Aert. They love Tom Pidcock. Yeah. They love bikes. They love bike racing. They love bicycles. And it's, they don't differentiate. Oh, it's a bicycle. Let's go and race it. And I think that's what's, that's what I think is magic. It's weird though, isn't it? It's still weird because... Here we are. We've been talking about this amazing kid winning this amazing race that was beautiful to watch for ten minutes, and yet I think you and I both, because our heart, our hearts both beat for for the road, right? Mm. We're both kind of like thinking, actually, Pidcock and the road is kind of what we want, what we ultimately yeah. want to see, regardless of how attractive it is to a generation yeah. younger than us to be messing around, jumping over boulders and stuff, and you know, hauling mm. yourself through the mud. There is still. There are still, to my mind, nuances within road racing and, and, and the dynamics, the fluid dynamics of a peloton and the tactical mm. uh, uh, complexity of road racing yeah. that still is where I think everything resides for me oh. still. You know. uh, and no, I, I'm with you 100%. And, and I think that's when you see Mathieu van der Poel, who's a mountain biker, cyclocross rider. I've shown the kids the, the Canyon video they did where they do all the hyper editing between all those different skill sets. Yeah, and yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. And all the romantic of his father, his grandfather. I, here's the thing, uh, David. So I was, I, I just started over the last few days trying to pick up on all the work as I'm so far behind with so much writing work mm-hmm. and various different bits and pieces. I dared to open an email today that said, oh God. um, that said, uh, yeah, Ned, um, you were supposed to write the stage by stage reports for the Tour de France for the road book. <laughs> I, I completely forgot. Now, obviously, when we were in Maidstone, I could have done that every morning. I know. You know, while it was still fresh in the mind, put out 300 yeah. words, you know, really good, really kind of like 
but now I've got to recreate it all from scratch. So this morning oh, I, I thought sat you down. were doing that. No, 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 I wasn't like an idiot. I didn't. I thought Rendell was doing it. <laughs> Oh, anyway, no. I said I'd do it and I forgot. So now I'm having to do it. So today I spent, I spent the, the whole morning writing the first eight stages up, right? That's and when I got to stage two, uh, the Mur de Bretagne stage, where, oh. Van, where Vanderpool won and took, and took um, yellow. I, that we are now having to do. Ah, David, I was reliving it um, mm. from scratch again, loving it all again yeah. and, and appreciating it even more because yeah. you talk about Va- Vanderpool. Remember, David, he had to, uh, he was going into that stage with a double I, ascent of the Mur de Bretagne. He was precisely 18 seconds down on Julien Alaphilippe in the general classification. 18 seconds. He knew that there were eight seconds of bonus sprints and 10 seconds yeah. at the finish line. So he went, I've got to win the bonus sprint on the first climb. I've got to win the stage and take the 10 seconds and make sure that Alaphilippe doesn't take any. And I've got to gap him by at least a second. Uh, that is an impossibility. Uh, like, it was, it's an impossibility. Riders, what he did uh, is an impossibility. Against normal riders, Fact. it's an impossibility. He did it against yeah. Julien Alaphilippe, who had destroyed the peloton of the mm. Tour de France the day before the world champion. Mm. And Mathieu van der Poel did it somehow. Yeah. And he, and, he, and he, Do you remember commentating that first ascent of the... the and we so, went, what's he doing, the idiot? That's not how you win the stage. You don't, you can't do what he did. It was just and, and mind I think blowing. All, all of this kind of, kind of wraps back around to, to the mountain bike race. It's, and it, it's, and this is sport. It's, and I can't ever imagine what it's like when your father was a, a champion Dutch racer in the 1980s. Adri. And Adri. And, the the woman he married, her Corinne. father, yeah. Corin, was uh, was Pulador, hmm. and Pulador is the the who I've met numerous times, and you have as well, the greatest ever non-winner at the Tour de France. Yeah, and then you got his grandson. So if we switch now to Raymond to Raymond Pulador's perspective, and there's that lovely video you put it on your social media. And I've seen it before as well. That little highlight reel, the, the, of, the Dutch of the Dutch yeah, TV documentary, Dutch yeah. TV, where yeah. Matthew, as an eighteen-year-old, turns up to the Tour de France for the first time and hangs out with his grandfather. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And his and his grandfather is literally swanning his grandson around, saying, yeah. "He's better than me. This is this is this is my boy." And it's like any grandfather would be, but the love is radiates from that whole clip. And so then to put that in the perspective of where he was, where he didn't win the first day, which would have been his plan at this year's Tour de France. 100%. 100%. And he didn't. And and I've spoken about this, and uh, and I did it briefly, I think in a, one of our previous podcasts from commentary. There is, and I would love to capture it, is uh, Alaphilippe crossed the line, and he's done what he did. And then Van der Poel literally pulls up next to him and collapses on his handlebars. And his body language is sadness. Absolute sadness. Because that was his one opportunity to to do what his grandfather never did, which was wear the yellow jersey. Yeah. And then was- what I find then what I find remarkable is he then went to bed that night and then the next day said, as he said, oh, 18 seconds to get I'm gonna have to get the only way I can do is get the points in the first line, then do this and win the sprint by a gap. And he started that next day and he did it. And when he crossed that line and pointed his finger, it was like, holy shit, you're Mathieu van der Poel. You're not Raymond Poulador. Huh. And, and, and only Mathieu van der Poel could pull that off. Yeah. yeah. And then in the post-race interview, when um, our friend Seb asked the questions and just asked, who are you thinking? And he said, my grandfather. Yeah. And he said it in the gentlest way. Yeah. But it's even, I kind of feel a bit emotional now. No, it's goosebumps. A, goosebumps. Goosebumps. My that grandfather. was a special, that and, was a really yeah. special day of racing, yeah. wasn't it? I mean, and, it that's, was, and that's going back, that's what road racing is. That's what road racing is. That's what road racing is. Yeah. There's so much history on every single one of those roads. Yeah. There's so many narratives. There's so many different finishes that we go back to. There's, it's not just a course. Mountain biking is great for the kind of skills, but road racing is history. Hmm. It's, it's stories, it's people, it's, it's things that we forget and are forced to remember. Mm. And, and that's road racing. 
And mm. so, yeah, so that's why you and I are, are big fans of road racing and yet appreciate greatly mountain biking and the other disciplines. Yeah, it was pretty special. Um, didn't watch the time trials, did you? <laughs> no, I didn't either. No. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, I was because I kept watching on, on on Twitter and I was like, oh, it's the greatest time trial ever. Oh, really? Was it? Which one? The men's or uh, the women's or what? The men's, the men's, because it was also close for so Why long. Why was it so good? But I don't then, know anything about then, it. I, I only know, know. Oh, Dumoulin finished second, which was pretty <laughs> but, special. But then, then, I, then I saw the finish and Roglic won by a minute. And I was like, guys, really? It's like, so the first lap was close. Doesn't sound too close to me, yeah. And then Roglic just destroyed everybody. But then there's a lovely, and again, road racing. The only reason that I, I've got a little bit of affection to it is because I, I was a time trialist, but also Roglic has got his redemption. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I always hesitate with the word redemption. I think it's a bit of a lazy sports journalism word. Like, yeah. There's nothing, he didn't have to redeem no. anything. No. He just had to, he just had to give himself yeah. um, the reward for, you know, some sort of reward for, for a season's preparation. Um, yeah, I and, agree. And, 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 and a confirmation of the talent that he is you know and maybe he will win the tour de france one day can we do a paradigm shift here quickly yeah go go uh this is aob quite kind of dropping in uh simone bills biles biles the, i think yeah the biles, gymnast the gymnast yeah. and i was just speaking to my friend because i have some asian friends and and we have a um, so, david, david just tell me so was she the greatest gymnast of her generation Yes. With a huge she's, amount of pressure. She has, she's voluntarily withdrawn midstream from the Olympics or I, I literally don't uh, know what the story is. Or? One of the only times, because my wife's super into the Olympics, yeah. uh, that I was watching something live and it was a team event and she did a, uh, one of the vaults <laughs> and then came off and then just walked off. And she was done. That's it. She was done. And then the post-race things is all, then everyone's, it's all gone mass on media. But then I was reading now today, because I'm quite into this sort of thing. She had what's called in gym, gymnastic terms, the twists in the morning, which is like in um, in baseball or cricket or any technique sport where you have the... The yips. Uh, the yips. She had the... In gymnastic terms, it's called the twists. Okay. She couldn't connect herself. Okay. And it's the first time they'd never seen it and she was doing it in training. So when when it happened on the vault she realized she was deep in the twist. Oh, now okay. in, in, in gymnastic terms, that means you've either got a few hours or days or sometimes years to get over the twist. Yeah. And she realized it happened in this morning. So she just walked out. She was like, yeah. I'm, I, 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 I can't connect my mind to my body now. Yeah. Yeah. And so we all took at this one thing. Then there's always been this media outpour of different things. And then I was speaking to my, and this is the total paradigm shift. I've got a friend who's, um, his daughter will likely be winning gold medal in skateboarding in eight years. And I've got a few other friends who are Asian. They've got always people that train them and do these different things. And I was talking about Simone and I thought, if you've got the twist like she had, the scariest thing is when you're taking from the village to the venue, because you're on your own. Yeah. Your family's not there. Your coach is not there. Ooh. And, and, and these I, are COVID separation times yeah. as well. So, yeah. And I used to always just put my, because I've been in those situations where you just put your face on the window and just get the cool, the cool feeling of the glass and just try and pretend that it's all going to be okay. <clears throat> and then you get there, then you open up in the stadium and to have the wherewithal or to, and I was just saying to my friend actually today after the, the Simone Biles thing, you know, you can do all your work. What you have to do is be prepared that one day she'll get on a bus or a drone, whatever vehicle it is to get her from the, from the <laughs> camp to the, to the venue and know that if on that journey, she thinks she won't be able to do it she can get off and say, you know what? I'm not going in. Hmm. Because the scariest thing when you're an athlete is you have to go into the arena. Hmm. And you have to, even if you're scared, even if you know you're, you're going to underperform. Hmm. And that's, I guess, what, that's what the Olymp Olympics is quite lovely for that. But I would never wish that on any of, of my worst enemy is to be on that, journey to the venue to the stadium 
and know you're gonna you're you're not at your best mm. and then have the wherewithal to say get off that bus and say i can't do it today mm. today i can't do it because you spent decades a mm. decade of your life preparing for that moment and so that's why i thought the simone bars thing was lovely because i thought she was in it she was in the heat of it and she said i can't do it today and I spent 15 years doing this, but I can't do it today. And it's, and that's such a, that's the biggest life lesson any of us can take because sometimes you won't be able to do it. Yeah. And you're just going to have to, you're just going to have to get off the bus and say, guys, carry on. I'm not going to be there with you. Yeah. yeah. And it's such a kind of a lovely thing, but that's the romantic, tragic kind of side of me. But I think it's quite nice. I don't know what you think about that, Ned. Um, well, it's, I, I, I picked up on scraps of the story, I have to confess, but it's clearly resonated with, um, actually, huh, this is quite interesting. You're talking about kind of um, younger generations being inspired by uh, different kind of cycling, you know, and the kind mm. of antics of the, of the younger generation. Actually, the Bile story, as far as I understand it, has actually really resonated with um, younger people in my house mm. who are staying here at the moment and uh, who aren't necessarily interested in the sport whatsoever, but are very interested in what has happened yeah. at the Olympics yeah. and actually see that as a kind of uh, a sign of progress that these things mm. are now acceptable in how we evaluate human performance, you know? And, uh, and so, uh, yeah, hats off. I think it's great. Listen, I haven't seen too much of the Olympics. I've kind of, I decided from a long way out, I didn't care about these Olympics. I thought they were irresponsible and I don't, I, I didn't think they should happen. And I actually think the Olympic, um, games are dead on their ass mm. but uh, once again i've been kind of slightly suckered in by it um it is it is you know the magic i was gonna say every four years but every five years in this case does kind of weave its its little spell around you doesn't yeah. it and um so this morning i was what was i doing this morning i was uh, i was i was fiddling around sending some emails doing some admin and at the same time i was listening to the bbc radio reporting on um a british canoe canoeist Oh yeah, I saw that. I was totally yeah. invested in her. I'd never so heard of her before. This first time that we've had um, female well, did, single did she canoeist. Win, did she win a silver medal in the end or something? Or gold? I don't Sil know. Uh, silver I don't medal. know. Yeah, she, um, how much jeopardy is the there? She touched the, Aust she the Australian, touched gate. Right? She the, touched the gate. The Australian one. Instantly, it's a two-second mm. time penalty, isn't it? Just you know for touching it a gate. Like, so, I think it's, oh. so I, just to, to, to affirm what you're just saying, is it, it means that because we treat sports in the domain we have we, where we have TV and even we treat, we kind of belittle ourselves because cycling is quite small because yeah. we compare it to football and, and even in our country, cricket or rugby, but it's still a significant sport. Now there are dozens and dozens of sports that don't get any TV coverage. Yeah. That people work their whole youth to be the best at. <laughs> <clears throat> and yeah. uh, canoeing. Olympics uh, canoeing mm. Olympics gives them the vehicle not even Eurosport to, covers canoeing yeah. does it as far no. as I'm, actually maybe it does I don't know it, maybe it, it does. does it does actually because I, I kind of was watching Orla talk about it <laughs> so that, uh, on Twitter I didn't, wasn't actually watching Eurosport but uh, <laughs> but yeah and it's but uh, it, it's one of those weird things and, and this is my dichotomy with the Olympics is because I with all my anti-doping stuff and all the work I've done I was a uh, and and Olympic event in Buenos Aires four years ago and I got to actually confront Thomas Bach. Yeah, he's the main the, man, isn't he? Yeah. Because they have no care for the athletes. Zero care. It's all money. They have in their bank accounts at least one billion pounds in cash and and yet they whinge about things. They make these demands they don't really help people. They mm. threw maybe a million years. They would do something when Notre Dame burnt down. They sent a million euros, mm. you know, and it's like, oh, IOC sent a million euros. Yeah. They live in an ivory tower mm. and they, they really don't care much about the athletes and it really, but that's, I could go into that for hours and I've, and it can be found well, on that's record. That's because an athlete's career is transitory. You guys come yeah. and go. They can spit you out and chew, you know, chew you up and spit yeah. you out the other end. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. And they, they are there to endure and they've been there for a hundred years and they're getting bigger mm. and bigger. And, you know, Tokyo has been pushed through against the, against the will of an entire uh, population, pretty much, mm. as far as I yeah. can make out. Um, yeah. And it's, it's, it is an act. I saw, I go back to my original reservations. It's a desperately irresponsible environmental mm. and health um, risk. You yeah, know, and um, Matt Rendell's right. Climate change is the climate emergency is real right here, and I'm mm. not sure we should be building huge concrete stadia that won't last the test of time and kind of flying but people around the world. And you want you want, to, you want to, this is a good anecdote, just so, so uh, anyone who's doubting us. So when you had the London 2012 Olympics, um, yeah. the uh, the members uh, of the IOC, the leadership team, they wanted to know how the royal family travelled around London. Yeah. Um, and they made sure they traveled around the same way. Huh. That's, that's an absolute fact that I know from, uh, London transport. Yeah. That's how they treat so themselves. They, uh, uh, so they got those protected lanes, didn't they? And yeah, they got everything. Uh, they they got literally, prote- yeah, they did. And, and so that's what they do. The IOC yeah. leadership team yeah. go to cities and find out who the, how the president operates, how the yeah. royal family, whatever the leadership team of that com- that country is yeah. and expect to be served exactly like them yeah so yeah. for 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 an event that it has so much power and so much loveliness the people that lead it are not you wouldn't want to have dinner with them mm. and mm. i can first person tell you that <laughs> <laughs> yeah hey talking about getting around london I've just been having dinner down on the um, on the on the riverfront in Greenwich with some friends and family, and yeah. in the distance we saw two chinooks. Oh, this I love is, if you live in if you live in southeast London, it's actually quite a common sight yeah. because they land at the Woolwich Barracks. Mm. Um, but uh, this first time, so if you know Greenwich, it's on the kind of epiglottis of you know the river bends right the way round. I showed you yeah. Greenwich, I, 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 from I loved the it. Isle yeah. of Dogs and all that sort of thing. And um, we saw them in the distance, and I said, I said, watch this. These two Chinooks flying in formation, they'll follow the river all the way around in a big sweeping circle like that. And uh, they sure enough did, and they came right over our heads, giving it the whole... Um, and that was pretty cool. Don't know why I told you that, other than I thought you'd appreciate the, the kind of I, visual I love image. it, because I love all military... I'm just trying to desperately look through Wikipedia, why Find it's called about- Chinook. Because I think it's got something to do with a Native American name. I would imagine it has sounds... But I possibly- can't remember why. What's quite worrying is they were the kind of staple of the Vietnam War, weren't they, right? But Vietnam no, War... No, you, you had... Um, so the Vietnam War... There's a book you should read called Chicken Hawk. Right. Um, uh by what's his name i can't remember it's an amazing book and it's about where that was the first time they introduced um uh, airborne cavalry so they were using a certain smaller type of helicopter okay and they would drop troops in yeah and then leave them out and there's a book uh robert uh i'll i'll put in the show notes yeah chicken hawk is the most amazing book because it talks about helicopters and war Right. And he was then out of... Um, wasn't the Apache? Then, no, it wasn't the Apache. That came no, later, it wasn't the Apache. Right. That yeah. was later. Yeah. Um, Huey. It was the Huey. The Huey. The Huey. The Huey. The Huey. Yeah. But um, what he said was, the reason that he wrote the book and did it, because he was then on the street for a decade afterwards, um, was that when he was flying the helicopters, he was trained to be a hawk. Hmm. And... Yet when he was in the situations, he felt like a chicken because he was so scared. Yeah. And he'd be dropping in his helicopter into these crazy situations to pick people up, drop them off, yeah. come out. And he would always have the radio. He'd hear everything going on hmm. and he would be terrified. Hmm. But the, his ability to go in and fix them made him a hawk. Hmm. But he was terrified the whole time. Chicken hawk. Chicken hawk. Okay. Yeah. It's a beautiful book. Yeah. Sounds cool. Sounds cool. Sounds mm. cool. Mm. Hey, listen, just before, this isn't, I'm not, not in any sense wrapping you up here, but I just, I know that I'll forget it unless I say it now, right? I want to say a happy birthday to my friend Jody in South Africa. Is that okay? Can I do that? It's my podcast, right? I can do that. Yeah. You can do whatever M- you want. Melinda Apples won't object, will they? Uh, well, what about Fuji? Oh, we've got Fuji. Do you know the first job I ever had, ever, in Bedford, was working for Fuji. That's interesting, isn't it? Uh, that is interesting. It was really funny, right? So I, I was, I just left school. I was seventeen. I had a stringy mullet and I wore an army greatcoat. 
Um, that's just for your visual reference point. Um, and I, I went to a temping agency. These things don't really seem to exist to quite the extent that they used to, but every high street had a few temping agencies back in the day. And I said, get a job. And uh, they said, all right, you can start tomorrow morning at this industrial estate on the outskirts of Bedford. And uh, the, 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 the warehouse you have to report to is the Fuji warehouse. They used to make videotapes, didn't they? And video cassettes yeah. and you know all that sort of thing and i went there reported there the first thing in the morning and this some um, site foreman led me and this middle-aged man called andy um out to a warehouse where we were shown boxes and boxes and boxes <laughs> piled high on a pallet of uh fuji videotapes c120s or v no vh120s or whatever they were all of which had been wrapped in cellophane with a promotional offer that had some incorrect information on it, hmm. right? And me and Andy's job was to take the cellophane wrappers off. <laughs> <laughs> on day one, we set about it because we didn't know each other. So silently, diligently, we set about it and did something like 10,000 on day one, yeah? yeah? At the end of the shift, on our way back to catch the same bus to go home, I said, if we carry on like that, Andy, we're going to be out of a job on Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> so on day uh, two we did four <laughs> we, uh, we literally hid hid from our bosses behind all these pallets and played cards the great british workforce right there it was like something out of i'm all right jack it was brilliant oh, so amazing. there we go so never strays fuji that's it's come full circle for me david never says fuji. i've moved on from melinda apples i'm all about fuji now but i just want to say so happy birthday to jody who's listening in musenberg in South Africa, um, where actually she may not know this, but she's a very near neighbour of Nick Lamini, who's moved to Musenberg. Oh, so there, there we go. Um, but also Jody and Scar, who are good friends of mine. And um, I just want to remember a couple of years ago when I last time I went out to South Africa to visit um, Jody and Scar. Scar, who is an ultra, and well, both of them are amazing boulderers, right? Rock climbing types. Mm. Right. Uh, yeah, amazing. But, uh, but Scar is an extreme mountaineer as well and has done all the big peaks of the Andes mm. and everything with proper pickaxes and stupid altitude and all that kind of nonsense and wants to, you know, really, really one of the, you know, and he's spent long periods of time in the Antarctic doing amazing stuff there and all that kind of thing. He's this wiry, extremely lovely, very fit South African guy. And he said to me, he's got a passing interest in cycling because he's just, he, lo he just loves everything that involves extreme fitness, right? Yeah. So cycling kind <laughs> yeah. of falls in a bit like, a bit like Nicole, a bit like your wife. So yeah. um, if it involves fitness and pain, I'm in. Um, so on my way out to South Africa a few years ago, he said, he said, Ned, why don't we, because they live in Musenberg, which is on the Cape Peninsula. Why don't we, if I get a couple of bikes, why don't we ride the route of the Cape Argus? You know, that kind of big, yeah. sportive race all the way around the Cape Peninsula, which is quite famously very windy, quite a lot of climbing, and it's quite long as well. And mm. I went, yeah, that sounds pain painful, but all right, let's do it. But he knows, ap I mean, you know, I know nothing about bikes, right? Scar yeah. knows, Scar knows absolutely nothing about bikes. And so I, we went there and he said, we'll do the ride. We'll set off super early tomorrow. I've got my neighbour. He's lent us a couple of mountain bikes. Huh. I'm like, what do you mean mountain bikes? He goes, yeah, yeah, mountain bikes, because we're going up mountains, aren't we? Yeah, but we're going up mountains on roads, Scar, on tarmac, mm. like that. And he goes, huh. yeah, well, that's all we've got, a couple of mountain bikes. And honestly, David, we set off and it was the longest, well, we've suffered on bike, ride, bike rides together, haven't we? We but have. This was I was talking longest, about it today. <laughs> it was 100 miles plus on a mountain bike uh, riding the, re the route of the Cape Argus, just me and him in this tremendously windy Cape Peninsula. It was honestly, most, for most of it, we were riding at something under walking pace. And that's my, that's my only other thing that I've got to say about mountain bikes. But uh, tell me, how was, your, how was your West Highland Way experience with Nicole and all that? Uh, that that uh, was amazing. I mean, uh, Nicole, um, uh, we, there's a mountain biker, again, mountain biking, a, a Scottish guy called Rab Wardle, who's, um, I've raced with at Commonwealth Games a decade ago, who then went off, so I was, became a coach and then did what's called an FKT, fastest known, fastest known time of the Ooh. West Highland Way. And it starts in Morgai and finishes in Fort William. And it's a hundred miles. It's 156 kilometers. And most people do it in eight days and it's a pilgrimage. And we could do a whole pod on this, Ned, which we, mm. we will do because I got 
stuff. I oh, you've got some audio away. content. Oh, got audio, yeah. which we'll do in a future date. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but it was amazing watching my wife do it because she trained for it and prepared for it and did it really well. Okay, she, she, let's just say she ran it. She ran the thing. That's she ran it in four you, days. You say that because that's yeah. She, 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 she ran. ran it. She she turned up and she ran it. And she she wake up. She was leaving wherever we were at six a.m. and just getting it done. So by eleven o'clock, it's like she'd run the marathon wow. of the off road trail. Then we'd meet her for lunch, and then she was totally fine the rest of the day. I mean, what? that's Nicole. She's a machine. But it was. But we got to see Scotland that I'd never seen. We got mm. to see things, and we had meds. Mediterranean weather. My mum was there, and oh, the reason we were the doing best it, week ever, yeah. didn't you? For it, amazing yeah, ever, yeah. and it was really good for me because I met my uncle that I'd never met before because my mum was adopted, and uh, my wife was not just running it but raising money while she was doing it, and uh, and for a charity called Quarriers. And on the third evening, we met my uncle, and he was adopted like my mum so my mum was adopted her brother was adopted her other brother was adopted all to different families mm. and and they were looked after by the quarriers her brothers mm. and uh and he's the chaplain my this is what's amazing as well my my uncle my mum's brother is the oldest serving chaplain in the whole of the british army amazing. and he so he's a, a full blown chaplain theologist, and he's gone through it and done these different things. And an interesting man. Uh, her other brother committed suicide because because that's their mum committed suicide, and it's all quite darkness. But this, but it was so nice to see the joy, uh, kind of, and just the normality of just getting it done. Yeah, and yeah. so yeah, so that was yeah, it was it was good, and uh, it's another one of those. It, I'm putting it banking it in my head because I'd like to do something really lovely with that Ned, and we can well, let's do that. We can talk about yeah. it because I can, uh, I can, I can. Uh, I've been thinking about that, and I think it's a good one for us to do. And I had one other one I wanted to just bring up, and I can't remember what it was. What another bit um, of any other business? Yeah. Do you have uh, a dream or anything? Because I've had no dreams. I can't, you know, no, I was thinking I've today, no maybe dreams. I've got a dream I could tell you about. I have, I'd stopped dreaming. So oh, this, this was it. Yeah. This was it. It was, um, and this is properly never strays far. So, yeah. you know, like motor racing. Like what racing? Motor racing. Oh, I know about motor. No, I don't yeah. know about but I know what it is. So, yeah. so there's a guy called Matt Bishop and he's right. called the Bish F1 and he's a gay a correspondent. He's he's the chief comms for the Aston Martin F1 team, and okay. he's an amazing. I I've followed him for quite a long time, and every day he puts up a, an F1 story, a motor yeah. racing story. Yeah, and uh, and today's was about in this day in 1973, Jackie Stewart won a race. Okay, yeah, but there was a 25 year old called Roger Williamson that died. And there, and he, he was his second ever F1 race. He'd won F3 championships and his car flips a tire failure. And was the driver behind him called Dave Purley, David Purley stopped his car and got out his car and went and spent two or three minutes trying to get him out and, and couldn't get him out. And, and this is what changed everyone having fireproof suits for marshals and everything. And I made the foolish mistake of going on YouTube and watching it. And it's the most saddest thing you'll ever see. Cause you see David Purley mm. trying to stop cars, trying to get the marshals to help him. You see him trying to push, put, try to flip the car over. Mm. You see him trying to do everything and he mm. can't do it. Mm. And he was, he was given the George medal, which is, the civilian it's military civilian cross, military yeah, cross yeah. which is what Malta got, which is where I was born. And that's why I know about it. And it puts perspective to everything we do. And it, and the closest we get in sports, we talk about these little things. But your motor, and one of my loves of motor racing is, uh, you're like, those guys, they were just idiots, spoiled idiots that ended up in those situations. And I recommend going and looking at that video as macabre as it sounds, because you watch him 
not being able to help. Hmm. And he watched hmm. his friend just, he said, he could hear him scream, couldn't push the car over, nobody could help. Oof. And he suffocated, didn't burn to death. And then he's trying to wave down, wave down cars, but none of the other cars stopped because they saw his car parked. Hmm. And so they thought he was just trying to tell everyone to slow down. Oh, and, he, he, and it was just... Not waving, but drowning. Not drowning. Waving, but drowning. And, and, yeah. and you just see his body language. And, and I think it puts all of our dramas we have about sports and Olympics. Go and watch. And that's a, a slight glimpse of what people do every day of their life in different situations and health workers and military. And, and it oh, was so- like... And it, you were like, okay, we're just talking about, oh, I got bronze, not gold. Oh, I missed, didn't, I got off the bus, I didn't go to the venue. You imagine trying to push a car. Yeah. Try and lift a car over. It's when you're watching your friend burn to death. And that's that's what people do. do, do just in summary, you know, we started off talking about the women's Olympic road race. Yeah. David. Anna Kiesenhofer, who won it, was quoted as saying this after the race. Now I'm old, I'm 30, and I started to realise that all those people who say they know, they actually don't know. Many of them don't know, and especially those who say that they know, don't know, because those who do know, say that they don't know. That's not bad as a post-race interview, is it? That's 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 existential. So we need to get we need. You know, we got get Dara right. We need to get Kiesenhofer. We need to get Dara. We need Kiesenhofer on. We need to get Kiesenhofer on. We need to get yeah. yeah, We need to get Dara and Kiesenhofer on. I'd love to speak to Anna Kiesenhofer on this on this pod because I think she's amazing. I think she'd be amazing. She did she did something incredible. I think we need to get um we we might need to bring John Newton back in. Newton's been quite quiet recently. We need Let's bring Newton like, back on. We need an astrophysicist. Also, we need his take on Jeff Bezos. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Space. And, well, space final, in inverted commas, right? The final frontier. The final frontier, yeah. Like <laughs> like going to London involves going if to the M25. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and just finally, David, we, we, so coming up rapidly, well, not, not, not that rapidly, but rapidly-ish, will be, we might do a few, so... I only just figured out right this year, we're not commentating on the Vuelta, which is annoying because it's going to be an amazing yeah, Vuelta, yeah. right? I'm not going to be in Spain. You're going to be in Spain, but not in mm. Spain. Um, but maybe we need to do some Vuelta stuff, right? I think we should do like a daily update. A daily? That would involve... Maybe see, by the daily. Was, the Giro was amazing because I watched it every day because I was paid to watch it, right? I would have watched Tri-day- it every day. Try daily? So let's just say an occasional vuelta thing. I think, yeah, okay. don't you think... And I think unless we, should, unless we want to pay us for it, yeah. Well, that's all in the court of the apples, people, isn't it? Or Fuji, Fuji, if they want to chip in, Fuji. given that they now know I was a former Linda employee of theirs. Um, but uh, so I haven't ruled out Fuji. This <laughs> this podcast is brought to you by Fuji, manufacturers of videotapes. Back in the day in Bedford, um, uh, but uh, but maybe we should think about doing. A, an occasional Vuelta podcast called Never Stray's Fandango. Yeah. yeah. Oh, nice. Fandango is nice. Someone, well, it wasn't me. Someone on Twitter suggested that. Never Stray's Fandango. I quite like that. Yeah. But in yeah. the meantime, we what we know we're going to do is a tour of Britain one, a daily morning tour of Britain oh, one. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because you're doing that. And I'm doing that. And, and I, I will be doing nice. We will do a morning show from the tour of Britain, right? Which starts mm. in Penzance and finishes in Aberdeen. So it's properly a tour of Britain. Um, yeah. And it goes to Wales as well before you start complaining about that. Obviously, it doesn't go to Yorkshire because they're. Uh, well, at war well, I'm not going to complain Britain. about Wales. No, 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 not you. Just the tour, I'm talking about the listeners, you know. Okay. How can yeah. you call it Tour of Britain if it doesn't go to Wales? Well, it does, but it doesn't go to Yorkshire because it can't go to Yorkshire because mm. Yorkshire, in cycling terms, is at war with Britain, right? We know that. Uh, um, yeah. Or rather, Britain is at war with Yorkshire. I can't remember which way around it is. Um, but, yeah, but we're still looking for a really convincing title i suggested never Stray's farage i think it's scared away some of our sponsors <laughs> the political association um and so on fuji.melinda yeah so so I, I, maybe we need to skirt never Stray's farage we had a couple of other good suggestions on twitter someone said never Stray's falala like an english madrigal what about never Stray's afar 
Never stress afar is quite good. <laughs> Never stress afar. What in a Shakespearean so way? Is that kind of like an Anglo-Saxon Arthur? That's afar. quite. I quite like that. Never stress Arthur. <laughs> Never stress Arthur. This is great. It's like, a, like. It's like a, right. a tribute to England, the Anglo-Saxon I, uh, heritage. I quite like Never that. Never stress Arthur. Well, the other one was Never Stress Near, which is also an op- it's an option. It's an option, right? So we, we've yet to settle on that. Us. But but perhaps you could. Do you think you could get? I've forgotten the name of the guy who does the artwork. What's his name? V- oh, Vitor. 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 Can you Vitor. get him to knock up something? Um, yeah, Never Stress Fandango. Fandango. He'll be all over this. He loves this. He actually listens to this as well. Oh, brilliant, Vitor! Can you do yeah. something? Can you do something like Never Stray's Fandango-ish? Yeah, and uh, with a little bit of Spain chucked in there, um, and uh, and we'll do a bit of that because the Welsh starts quite soon, David. Right? Yeah, and, get on it, Vitor. All right, okay. <laughs> get first the artwork, then the content. That's how we do things. Backload it. <laughs> uh, nice to speak to you, David. Nice to see you, Ned. Who's who's editing this? You or me? I can I can stick it together now. I won't, sure? There won't be any music. There won't be any art. No, no, no. Just no, no, no. No production values, mate. Just whack it out there. The punters will love it. <laughs> Good. Send it to me now. <laughs> I will do. All right. All right. See Bye. ya. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 